1: Right, guys, working class on Deercast. We are, Mark and I talked about doing this series, I don't know, several episodes ago. And I've got some feedback from us talking about it, Mark, but we wanted to do the working class on Deercast Turkey OG series. And this is the first installment of four that I think we're going to do and roll out here coming into turkey season and during turkey season. So, Mark, thanks for the help and throwing this together. Appreciate that. Damn. I am
0: so, so jacked about this. We first talked about it last turkey season. You brought it up, and you were like, "Man, we need to do a full series." And I was like, "I know the guys that I'd have on if if we had a series." And uh, I mentioned Paul's name that day, and and some yep. others. And. I'm pretty excited about this because if you think about the guests we have lined up, they really are the OGs of, of the turkey industry. And in each will bring something different to this series of four. Yeah. There's different topics that we're going to hone in on through this series of four. So I think by the time a listener listens to all four, they're going to go, Holy, Holy cow. That was, that was pretty entertaining. So I'm excited about
1: it. Yeah. And that I'm going to learn a ton. I am not a turkey expert. I don't claim to be a turkey expert. I'm excited for this to kind of, be blessed by the turkey killing gods if you will and i'm excited to kind of be in the mix here Um, and our first guest is paul butsky Um, i want to thank you for doing this man i appreciate you you know taking the time to talk to me and it's just incredible that i'm with two legends of the outdoor industry in their own ways here um so paul thank you for doing this man i really appreciate it
2: oh kirk my pleasure to be here along with my buddy mark i mean uh what can you say? You know, we're, it's that time of year. It's about to happen before, Mm -hmm. you know, next few weeks or so. So uh, the energy level is like right up there. So yeah. Anytime you talk Turkey, no matter what time of year, but especially this time of year can't beat it.
1: Well, I think what we should probably start doing Paul is for, if I doubt anybody's unfamiliar with who you are, but to kind of give you your credibility of being, on the first installment of the turkey og series on working class on DeerCast, i mean you just got inducted and basically the turkey hall of fame you're a grand national turkey calling champion i mean there's so much to list there um for your experience and what you've done for turkey hunting within the outdoor industry um is is pretty incredible
2: i appreciate it kurt and yeah um the biggest honor I've had to date uh, by far was being inducted to the National Turkey Federation Hall of Fame in 2020. They didn't have it last year, so they just had the induction this past uh, this past week down in Nashville, but I got inducted in 2020, and uh, the honor is, I mean, it, it's second to none. I mean, yes, I won the Grand National, I won the U.S. Open a number of times, and it's it's the thrill is unbelievable, but to be inducted in that Hall of Fame was that was like the coup de grace right there.
0: Yeah. Well, it it goes deeper than that. I mean, Paul won three different Grand National Championships, six U.S. Opens, a variety of state competitions. He literally when you showed up, you were calling for second place if Paul was there. And, and I'm not joking about that. Mm. No one was more dominant in there. Uh, slot within the calling history than Paul Butsky was. And he was also innovative in the type cuts he was putting in the calls. Like a lot of the designs you see in the calls, the mouth calls these days, he created those designs and that's how he was so dominant on the stage. Back in that day, he was making a lot of the calls for Quaker boy. He was one of the original Quaker boy guys. He's been a, an OG since back in the, when did you first start killing turkeys in the seventies, Paul? Seventies, early seventies. Yeah early 70s yep. and he's killed a tractor trailer load between then an hour at least seen that many he doesn't kill many but he calls them in for everybody else and yeah. he was idle as i was getting into it like he drove so many of us to be better and to try and get to that level because you couldn't reach him i mean nobody could beat paul Buttsky. so uh he is he is a hero of mine and i'm so so honored that he's, he's taking this invitation to join us
1: yeah that's incredible to think like if people would show up for a competition that they're just going for second place because you were kind of like that outstanding <laughs> from everybody else but when it comes to the cuts and stuff like that in the calls is that stuff that you just experimented with over and over again or did you kind of where you did you have an influence from someone to know how to do that or where did that all come about
2: Now, pretty much i had access to a lot of calls you know what i mean that uh i started off you know buying mouth calls and, and whatnot like anybody else. But then I went to work for Quaker Boy back in the, the late 70s. And, you know, I was making mouth calls and I, you know, got a chance to cut a lot of different calls and try different styles of different things. And uh, just kind of one thing led to another. And uh, that's where I developed a cutter style call back around 1980. And, uh you know, it's, it's kind of blossomed from there, pretty much a cutter. And then you got, you know, a cut with another slice off to the side, you got your V cuts, but it all basically started from that.
1: Gotcha. Yeah. That's, that just seems cool. Like something that you could, you know, back then experiment with and to separate yourself and kind of get, you know, honed into your craft and your, and your way like that. Just like you know, I, I kind of look at anything competition wise, you know, there's the guys that stand out like an archery or fighting or motocross. They do something that makes them stand out. They're an innovator and in, in their craft and kind of take it to the next level. And then everyone follows suit from there, um, which is good for industry in general. Right. I met you. You probably just changed a ton in Turkey calling and how people thought about that type of thing in the day.
2: And, and there's no doubt about it, but also, you know, Mark doesn't mention Mark was such an icon and and an innovator and all this stuff and a champion caller and all this as well. I mean, you know, things that he developed, you know, through mad calls and whatnot. And it's just, it's, it is today, you know, a lot of people just still follow all that. And uh, he's, believe me, we're buddies and we're like that, but he's just up there and, and should be in the hall of fame before too long himself.
0: I just, I just enjoy seeing you do it, Paul, in all honesty. Like I said, he was a, a hero of mine and it catapulted him into the industry. And to this day, still in the industry with uh, the, everyone at GSM, Muddy, Hawk, Avian decoys, HS, he's a sales manager for them. So it's uh, it's pretty exciting to, to get to work alongside of him, to get to hunt next with, with him each and every spring. We've been doing this hunt annually for quite a while, and, and we just have an absolute blast when he comes in. So I'm anxious to pick that brain and find out what he knows about tough turkeys today. That's the subject matter. <laughs> yeah,
1: that's what we're getting to. But real quick, let me say one thing. It's refreshing yeah. watching you guys. I'm not calling you old but you guys have been in the game a long time. So it's cool for me to see it, to know that like your passion has never sizzled out over time because, you know, I think that's expected uh, with a lot of things that people are interested in too. They just kind of fall out of it or whatever. And I don't see myself falling out of it it, at all. So it's nice to see you guys so hardcore at it and still remaining hardcore after it. Um, So it's cool for a young gun to see. But anyway, I I guess if I can call myself- I gotta say one more
2: thing. I want to say one thing before we get into the, into the other stuff, but last year in my induction into the Hall of Fame, I you know I had to make a speech and all that, and the last thing I had mentioned about me and Mark hunting together for so many years now, and you know when we kill a turkey or we get a turkey and we're, the we get up there and we hug, high five, that has not lost one inch through the 50 years I've been turkey hunting. It, I'm just excited now as I was back then, and and you you know that's a passion, and that's something that it says something about the sport in itself, the adrenaline rush, the excitement, the camaraderie, being with somebody you know like Mark and and you know or a little kid even that you take out there. I mean, it, you yeah. don't lose that one bit.
0: Definitely. Hell, in fact, we're getting worse as we age. Like, they <laughs> We get so nervous, we want a gobble and we'll all dive down or, you know, we can't get the gun on them. I mean, it's, or we'll miss one. And, I mean, I miss, we, I get, miss. we get, I said, we I collectively said it, but we get so nervous Kurt when we're out there together. It's just, it's a thrill to be able to still do it because you go through and you evolve as a Turkey hunter and, and everybody listening to this will relate to this. Like as you age, you know, when you first get going, you think, man, my first bird, my third bird, my 20th bird. And now at mine and Paul's age, we're like, is that going to be my last bird? You know? so <laughs> we cherish every moment these days, I can promise you.
1: <laughs> you have to now, especially with a crazy life. Can
0: <laughs> so let's talk uh, stubborn birds, tough
1: birds, Paul. I mean, there's a lot of things in turkey season, especially in the Midwest from, uh-huh. I mean, no, tough hunting scenarios in general and let's start with one let's start with like a weather um scenario because a lot of times it can be rainy or not ideal and i don't have a ton of experience in hunting birds and we'll just go with the rain or like a thunderstorm um, a lot of yeah. people might use that as an excuse to sleep in or maybe not hit it as hard as they would have normally if it's bright and sunny and birds are chirping um what advice would you have for someone bad weather we'll just go with rain and thunderstorms like you get often in the spring
2: okay first off i you know i've done so many seminars through the years and you know i i practice what i preach pretty much and uh the first thing i always used to tell people number one you can't kill a turkey between the sheets of that bed Mm -hmm. so you got to get out there in the morning you gotta hunt them it doesn't matter what kind of weather conditions you're not going to kill them if you're home in bed so that number one is the most important thing. Number two, you got a lot less hunting pressure out there. If you're hunting public ground and whatnot, a lot of guys are staying home and, and out of that environment. But turkeys are, uh, they'll do their thing no matter what the weather conditions are. Yeah, a nice clear spring morning and what definitely will fire up birds a lot more, but turkeys still do their thing even in the rain and windy weather and whatnot. So being out there, got to be a lot more patient I believe you know because number one you got conditions like rain and wind and your your hearing ability has cut way down and also theirs is cut way down so you do have to set up I believe a lot longer in a lot more uh, positions that you feel that where turkeys like to be at in those weather conditions so scouting is important getting out there and know where turkeys are you know in certain weather conditions where they like to go to so put yourself in those positions. That'll definitely increase your odds in those those, per, those scenarios like
1: that. Will a turkey call or gobble less or be responsive to calls less in weather conditions like that?
2: It, it it depends on the frame of mind of that bird. I mean, there's no doubt you can change the frame of mind of a turkey. Mm-hmm. You know, a turkey that may not, you know, be paying much attention to what's going on. I mean, it's the, yeah, it's the breeding season, but, you know, he's not paying a lot of attention to, you know maybe he's feeding along but sometimes you get a turkey fired up he's just as responsive and just as vocal as if it was a beautiful clear spring morning so remember that? doing oh, that oh. yeah i remember that right there it was snowing that morning that was that was last year out in uh where were we i were in missouri that was
0: missouri, missouri.
1: <laughs> that's sn- yeah, the snow i looked over you know
0: I mean, it's, it's, yeah. we don't get it often and I'll set this up for Paul, but it goes to this subject. It's terrible weather. We got up that morning and you know what, you get that cold chill inside the house, inside the camp. Yeah. You look outside and there's snow coming sideways. The wind is blowing. And we were like, we only got so many days, you know, mm. let's go give it a try. Maybe they'll gobble. They gobble their butts off, didn't they, Paul? I mean, it was it was, it was, it was unreal luckily i was on the gun he was calling and i mean he had these birds marching from three or four different directions because all of a sudden the gobblers are in the right mood those hens may not be on that that foul weather day paul fired them up and i mean he hammered them like any other spring scenario and they were coming from every direction in there and and, uh, ended up killing that bird live on facebook
1: that's amazing. There's no
0: doubt. A lot of people would have stayed home that morning. A lot of people 100%. would have stayed home.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, you see snow and that's kind of the opposite of the weather you're expecting in the springtime, or it's just not the typical um, you know, spring turkey weather that you dream of or you think of anyway. Um right. what would what would be probably the toughest weather condition if there is one that stands out from the rest? Maybe bad weather's bad weather. But what might be like the ooh, we're gonna have a rough go this morning out of like anything that you could could be thrown at you.
2: Wind. 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 Wind to me is like my worst enemy in, in a turkey hunt. It cuts your, your hearing way down, your ability to hear, the ability for a turkey to hear you as well. So I, I believe a, a really windy day is to me is, is the biggest factor for myself. I don't know. Uh, Mark, what do you think?
0: Agree because it takes one of your key elements away, your ability to hear that turkey gobble back. I mean, it's so important to be able to hear drumming or hens yelping, or scratching, or birds gobbling, and when you eliminate that sense of yours, then you, it really does handcuff you. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm, I'm like, Paul, I hate windy days. I would much rather have rain or snow, and, it, and especially a north wind, a cold, cold front coming in, especially yep. if it's been warm for a while. That's, a, that's two strikes. High wind is one thing, but a north wind with it, is, is tough. I always say you kill deer on north winds during the cold fronts, you kill turkeys on south winds during a warm up. I mean, mm. it's historically you'll have better luck on warm fronts than you do cold fronts. But just like Paul said, you're not going to kill them if you're not out there.
1: Well, that brings up something. I know, Mark, you talked about it with us on the regular working class bow hunter series, but it was something you brought up and we called you randomly in one of our turkey camps. And I saw you say something on like a social post or whatever winds out of the east birds gobble the least does that play into this at all
0: certainly it's part of the weather factor but I, I have terrible luck on east winds particularly a northeast wind i mean they just don't gobble very much on that east wind and a lot of times that east wind will accompany lower pressure and uh, when you get that low pressure sometimes they they just don't gobble as much
1: so interesting no doubt no doubt. yeah paul do you run into that a lot too like do you run by that motto
2: yes there's no doubt you know barometric pressure plays a role in the goblin activity and like mark said you know those those weather conditions generally can you know construed a a low pressure system so yeah no doubt
1: yeah it's crazy just how things affect animals in general whether you know Mm -hmm. you you think about it or not and i never would have even thought about that you know until i heard mark say that and brought that question up to him so Um, We we talked about bad weather. I guess what I'm gathering from it is, is just get after it because birds are still going to do what birds do. Um, You just have to adjust your scenario a little bit to make it work for the situation.
2: Um, Sure. Mark Mark and myself are a big running, you know, we like running and gunning, covering a lot of ground. But on bad weather conditions, you have a a tendency you want to set up. Up maybe for a longer period of time because you know the ability of you hearing and them hearing you might take a little bit more for a turkey you know come your
0: way so yeah and also read the situation and that's exactly what Paul's talking about like if you're sitting there calling and you're not hearing gobbling anywhere it may just be that they're not going to gobble that day because of that inclement weather therefore they could come in silent and I think that's a rule of thumb in general regardless of the weather when they're not talking we probably talk a little bit less and our setups are much longer, not just a little bit longer, much longer because you could be calling a bird for 400 yards away that's walking real slow, that when they're gobbling, they keep you in your position. However, when they stop gobbling, you're like, let's go get to the next one. In reality, you might be leaving a bird that's coming. So you got to give them time to play that out. And Paul's a master at this. And I've noticed this in hunting with him, like the morning in the snow, we expected not to hear any goblin, but they were gobbling really well and he immediately adjusted his calling to that and started charging them up to get them even more fired up. Maybe Paul could talk to that about reading that gobble based on the weather and then adjusting to it.
2: Yeah there's no doubt you you get a kind of you get a feel I mean with all the years of experience that we've had turkey hunting you get a feel on how a turkey is reacting to your call. Mm-hmm. and uh you know cutting it off or there's a big delay and you know for him to gobble after you called. and these turkeys you know responded pretty quick so i i you know got aggressive tried to get them fired up so they got to me quicker before they got with hens off somewhere else and uh you know it just it just clicked it just really clicked and mm-hmm. i adjusted just by the aggressiveness of my calling
1: yeah see that's i like that too and, and that's a good point because so if the weather's bad from my experience, because i don't have a ton of turkey experience like i would more on the deer hunting side i would be like well birds aren't out here i'm gonna move around and try and find them in the bad weather when i'm and i've done that and i'm probably making a big mistake because like what you mentioned mark is that he could be they could be coming silent to me and i would have no idea because i didn't sit it out long enough because it didn't feel like i should so that's just showing my, my inexperience so When in doubt, stick it out really is what we can go with, with the bad weather a little bit.
0: No doubt. Yep. Yeah. That's it. it. Another key point about rainy days watch the fields later in the day because once it rains they'll oftentimes go to an open area and they'll be out there preening and a rule of thumb we have like when it quits raining we wait at least an hour to let them preen and dry off and then we go approach them and they'll, they'll start moving around again but it takes about an hour after a hard rain for them to get all that rain off their back and, and get ready to go again it does slow them down a bit.
1: One more question about the weather: Will it cause them to stay on the roost longer? You know, say if there's a heavy rain or a heavy snow or wind, rather than what they normally would.
2: Depending on where you're hunting, you get down in Texas, yes.
1: <laughs> yeah,
2: they will. If you get a snowy morning, because they don't see snow, but uh, you know they may stay up a little bit longer. But they they'll fly down. They got to fly down. They want they want to feed. They want to they want to breed. Whatever they want to do. Mm-hmm. So they, they'll end up on the ground, maybe a little bit later, but not much
1: nothing to really change your day on it
2: no no
1: okay love that that's you know and that's
2: another key factor you know knowing your terrain i mean you know if you're hunting your own property you pretty much know it like the back of your hand but when you're hunting you know public ground or you're hunting areas that you're not real familiar with you really should be familiar or try to get out and scout that area because you know turkeys like to do their thing in certain areas and if you know where these you know certain spots are you know that's another you know thing in your bag of tricks so you you can put yourself in the right position and try to get in areas where you know they might head to so knowing where they want to come from and know where they want to head to is really key to in, in calling positions
1: okay um what, one thing i want to go to from weather conditions and i think probably one of the and i don't know if this falls in line right after weather as far as affecting birds or how someone might approach a, a turkey hunting mark i don't know if, if you agree with this but from my perspective uh would be like hunting pressure Um, whether it's neighboring hunting pressure on your piece or you've pressured the birds or you're on public and then they're getting pressured by other people how will if you know you're gonna hunt I guess I'll start this way if you know you're gonna hunt a heavily pressured piece what would probably be the first way you would tackle it if you know the birds have been hunted hard or the neighbors have been after them and they've been called out a lot
2: You asking me? That or was to Mark
1: oh. or myself. I was asking Paul. Yeah, I thought there was a sorry, delay in the internet here. So I was like, all right, we're good. <laughs> <laughs> Whoever wants to take it, I guess. I'm just asking that question. I thought we had an internet lag. <laughs> I'm like, all right. <laughs> okay.
2: Go ahead, Marcus. I, I was, <laughs> no, I, I think it's for you, Paul. It's for you. What was the question? <laughs>
1: <laughs> I love this. Hey, cheers, guys. <laughs> um, hunting heavily pressured birds. That's how would you tackle it? <laughs> Heav-
0: heavily pressured birds. Pressured birds. I'm, in that, okay. How do, I you gotcha. change, how do you change your tactics with heavily pressured birds?
2: Well, pressured birds, and I'm used to that because, you know, hunting in the areas that I've hunted growing up in New York and Pennsylvania, was pretty much all public hunting ground. So the best way to hunt pressured birds, number one, is if you're able to locate something the night before. You know, doing mm-hmm. some preseason scouting, or get, try to get a bird fired up that evening before. If you can know where he's at, that. so you've got a good starting point, and try to get yourself in a position. You know, maybe 150, 175 yards from that bird, on the same level above him, if you can. Try to get in there as early as you possibly can before you even start to work them. Because mm-hmm. you don't want that bird doing a lot of gobbling that would draw another attention from another hunter and have them come walking in on you. So you try to get somewhat close to that bird in a good position before this turkey even starts gobbling in the morning. So number one, the closer you can get, the better off you'll be. But there again, dependent on the foliage, depending on the time of year. Mm-hmm. So I get in there and I'll you know, just do my basic, do some soft call and try to get them to gobble, know where I'm at and hopefully get them to fly down before you try to get them fired up and call them on in. But uh, you know, pressure, you gotta watch and you gotta be careful of other hunters. I mean, you gotta be so aware more so than any other type of hunting situation of other hunters sneaking in. So depending on the caller that you are, you know, if you're a good caller, you gotta, be, you gotta be really careful because people unfortunately do sneak in on, on other calls and other goblin turkeys. So be aware of that situation as well. try to get close try to get set up and before you'd even call them number one in hunting pressure areas
1: basically just give them less less room for them to move around you and do something different to another hunter or whatever Mm
2: -hmm. yeah you want to get tight on them you want to get tight as you possibly can
1: yeah the decoying and calling factor on a, a highly pressured like piece of public is presents a certain level of danger that I think can get looked over a lot of times. You know, it's you hear the horror stories of people getting shot and stuff like that. And you know, that's something to consider big, especially if you're a world champion turkey caller. You really sound like a turkey Uh out there. But if you're me, someone's like, That's not a turkey. That's Kurt over there butchering that. So
2: you'd be surprised. You'd (laughs) be surprised. And, and you're absolutely right, you know, as far as, uh, I mean, you know, hunting with Mark and, and you do that a lot more in the Midwest and out West and what is, you know, fanning a turkey. That's a, That would be a no-no in a high-pressured area around here. Yeah. I mean, uh, it's so effective. It really is. But there's so much of a visual aspect that other hunters walking through the woods could pick up on and unfortunately sneak in on you. But, uh, mm-hmm. you know, those are very effective tools, but, you know, not in hot, real high-pressure areas. I would not do something like that.
1: Okay. What about like a highly pressured piece of private that you know you're not going to have any another hunter move in on you, and maybe, you know, say I'm hunting the piece. I put the pressure on the birds, and it's fifth season in Illinois, and I've yelped at them and done all this and mm-hmm. tromped around, just trying desperately trying to get on a bird, and then finally I, I consult you, and you come out, and you're like, all right, this is how we're going to tackle this fifth season highly pressured bird on Kurt's farm.
2: Okay. What the first but at first thought I do this- Calling position, switch mm-hmm. calling positions, number one. You you, you don't want to, you know, keep pounding the same birds or the same thing from the same spot. Mm-hmm. Know your terrain, which you wouldn't know being it's your backyard or pretty much where you're hunting. Try a different calling position. If you you know, if you've hunted them several different times, you know how this bird's acting. You know, he might gobble up there on a ridge and then kind of work his way off to the left. Well, you know, try to position yourself in the right spot. Try to get from where he wants to come from and where he goes to. You know, try to set up in, uh, you know, certain positions like that. Try to change up your calling style a little bit, maybe just a little bit more softer calling. Uh, try a different style call. Maybe switch to a box or a little slate call or something like that. If you're a diehard mouth call, switch it up. Switch it up because, you know, turkeys do kind of get to a point, you know, if you are pounding a bird and, and everything happens two or three, four days in a row the same way, the scenario changes. Uh, you know, you want to change it up. And more you could change it up eliminate obstacles that are there between you and Ed bird, you know, try to get on the same level or above them. If you can just switch it up.
1: Okay. Yeah. That's great advice. It, as, as a, the turkey season goes on, I imagine more birds get henned up and hmm. as it goes on. So would that kind of be, would that apply also for henned up birds or is that a completely different scenario?
2: No, I did. I mean, yeah, here's the thing with turkey hunting. Nothing is foolproof. What works three, four, five times in a row, you might spook that bird the sixth time with it. But yeah. nothing is full proof. so always keep an open mind and you know try this, you try that, you try this, and I try the same scenarios in, in all situations, whatever the weather condition is, whatever you know if he's hand up or whatnot. But when a I, hand I up turkey, I, generally. I get aggressive with my calling. I'll try to get a hen fired up in the bunch. You know, maybe get the hens talking. You get a dominant hen in that bunch to start cutting back at you or whatnot. A lot of times she's going to come in and investigate what's going on. You know, gobblers are very territorial in the spring of the year, but people don't realize there are some dominant hens in that bunch that are also very territorial. Certain hens that want to run with that bus gobbler, certain hens that want to be bred first, you know, they kind of take control of that gobbler. So if you can get her fired up, and aggravated enough and you know through some cutting and whatnot then she's going to come in and investigate the gobbler might not be paying any attention to you but he's going to follow her along and also number two you know you hear turkeys and knowing your terrain they're in this spot and they're heading to this spot try to position yourself try to get in between where they want to come from and go to and you know a lot of times that's that's what you got to do with hand up birds
1: gotcha it takes a little more know how and calling and i guess a little more effort you're trying to cut a bird off if you can't get a hen to break away
2: yeah and and and, and listen to those hen. if you get a hen talking you know that's that's a good thing you get a hen you know from getting her hurts you know yelping and cutting and carrying on you know that's that's a great situation to be in because if, you know like like i said she'll she'll get fired up enough or you know she might come in a lot of times they might lead them off but you know where she's going And then you can get around and get in front of them. But a lot of times they'll turn and, you know, try to come your direction and see what's going on over there. So
1: in a situation like that, when you get the hen talking, is it good to like cut her off each time? Or is it good to kind of like separate how often you're cutting her off? Like, do you let like curiosity get her or do you stay on her to keep her interest going?
2: I get as aggressive as I can be with her once she's, once she's going, you know, because she'll try to get louder and more aggressive than you can, which she will always do. Yeah. <laughs> but there's so many different scenarios when you get a hen cutting and fire it up, man, she's just as aggressive as, as, as you can imagine. And, you know, a <laughs> lot of times, I mean, there might not be a gobbler with her, but all of a sudden you hear a gobbler gobble, you know, 300 yards off in the woods next to, you know, boy, here he comes. So, but a lot of times when they got those gobblers with them, they'll come in.
1: So when she's they'll getting spicy, so you just along. keep on her. <laughs> I like that. I am.
2: I do. There's a lot of times when you cut, when you quit calling, if you were to calm down and whatnot, they'll just kind of work their way up. Yeah. And keep her going.
0: You got a call there, Paul? You want to blow one? Just t- talking that hen stuff, like where you're really trying to fire her up. I don't know if you got one there or not. I'm sure you do. Yeah, I got something there,
2: I think. <laughs> a, 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 a cut is more of a, an aggressive call, you know, like a sharp. Dry it out. And when you're when you're cutting, it's you know real aggressive, broken rhythm like this. So the more aggressive and calling like that, and that hen, she's over there and you try to get as loud and aggressive as she's getting, she's gonna come in and check it out. There's no doubt about it.
0: We had a scenario like that last year in Iowa. We were hunting and we were on a piece of private ground and all the birds were off the private on the public. <laughs> and, but we had a good setup on the private, but you could hear them, they were, they were still flocked up. It was the early part of the season and sometimes it comes down to what part of the season you're into. And we could tell the flock was still vocal. This was two hours after fly down or an hour and a half after fly down, the flock's still talking, they're still you know in the woods and you hear these intermittent fighting purrs and you know they're still establishing their pecking order. So Buttski starts to turn it on. I start to turn it on. All of a sudden they hear these two new voices. So you never forget that either. You're a new voice to their flock. Mm-hmm. And we start charging right. it up. And I mean, it wasn't long. Here they came, the whole flock came. It was like four or five different long beards and a bunch of hens. And they are just charging up through the woods, gobbling and the hens were yelping and coming and coming. And then they got to this deep ravine and they never would come around it. And they ended up sifting on by us. But had that not been there, they'd have been in our laughs. Uh, but it was it was really cool to cool those call those birds off of public onto private and almost get them killed. And we, we did not kill one that day, but we got close. But we did it by getting really aggressive and literally just screaming at
1: them. Yeah, that's fascinating to think about. I always worry that I'm going to overdo it, um, just not knowing enough. Um, and then going into that, like that's another tough hunting scenario. It's like why does a bird? And maybe there's no answer to this. Maybe they're just. I don't know what it is. Like, what's up with getting hung up on a ravine or a fence post or a little creek? Like, is there any way around that, or is that just part of hunting birds? They just do it.
2: That's part of hunting birds, and and you know, going back to what you were saying about, you know, not knowing when to call, when not to call it, and it's a different scenario if it was just a gobbler by himself. You know, a gobbler by yeah. himself, you got to, you know, sometimes you got to lay back on your call. You you want him to come looking for you. You know, you, you let him gobble. Sometimes you don't even answer back. You know, you kind of play a little hard to get. In other turkeys, you, you can tell every every call you make, that turkey's going to cut you right off. You know, you get a feel for how a turkey's reacting to your call. Now, when a hen's fired up, like I said, I don't quit. I keep it up with that hen because she's, you know, got to calm down and kind of walk off her direction and take them gobblers with her. But if I get a hen fired up, it's a little bit different. But a gobbler, you got to kind of, you know, know when to call, when not to call, you get a feel for it. Yeah.
0: Um, I'm gonna play this. This was that scene that I was talking about. I'm, so, I'm sorry, Paul. This is that scene I was talking about where we were working those birds on that public ground. So here we are in public, public, and and just listen to Butsky hammering these turkeys. It's only like 37 seconds, but I had to pull my phone out because I was just sitting there, just loving the fact that he was hammering these public ground birdies this hard. And that went on for several minutes. There's only 37 seconds of it, yeah. but the more the more aggressive he got, and you hear him, he's just hammering those hens. You probably could barely hear them, but they're answering off in the distance, and they're coming. Mm-hmm. He just kept pouring it on, kept pouring it on, kept pouring it on for like 10, 15 minutes. The next thing you know, the flock's right in, our, right in front of us. They're just on the other side of that ravine.
1: That's amazing. What time of year was that?
0: Mm, that would have been like April the 16th, 17th probably in Iowa.
1: Gotcha. Okay. Yeah, that's cool. That's something I'm going to keep note of because, you know, calling at birds, I've got hens worked up, but I didn't know to stay aggressive on them like that. So that's a good tool to have in the bag or something to think about next time that happens. There's a lot about turkey communicating. A lot of people don't know. I know I'm not the only one in this boat, but I'm glad I'm learning this way. This is more, more fun, you know, to talk to the guy himself and learn this stuff. But Yeah, I I just, I didn't know that. And I'm sure a lot of people didn't really realize to stay on them aggressive like that when they're doing it. But, um, and then, you know, if you have a solo Tom by himself, kind of flirt with them a little bit and get his curiosity, but keep them intrigued all at the same time. So,
0: but you heard call Paul's pace there Mm -hmm. Hen would answer, he'd answer back. Hen would answer. He'd answer back. He wasn't just nonstop calling. And sometimes I hear hunters and I hear him and they'll, they'll get on that call and they won't stop. Paul still had a pace. He increased what he normally would do in terms of how often he called because the hen was answering. Mm -hmm. If she was a little bit less uh, responsive, he would have slowed his pace down, but he still had a back and forth pacing to his overall calling rhythm.
1: Yeah, you're kind of matching her pattern, right?
0: You are, yeah. Yeah, definitely.
1: Finishing her sentences and matching her pattern pretty much is what I'm (laughs) (laughs) really ticking her off. (laughs) which that, that, that piss off any lady. If we're, uh, are being honest, I guess it's just, <laughs> I guess it would, how you'd aggravate your wife. You just do that to the hen and then you, they'll be coming your way.
2: Oh, I can aggravate it real easy.
1: <laughs> <laughs> cutting her off every time she tries to make a point. <laughs> so, um, do a yeah. lot of birds, I guess this, I mean, for time's sake, this might be the last thing we get to Mark, unless there's something else you want to throw in, um, everyone, well, not everyone, but a lot of guys are using decoys. Um, a lot of birds can be shy of decoys or um, I guess everyone's had it where they have their decoys out and the bird sees a decoy, but doesn't react to it how you thought it would. Um, What's your take on birds that might be more decoy shy? And maybe that ties into hunting pressure. I don't know.
0: Go ahead, Mark. You answer that. Okay. It it does tie into hunting pressure, um, but I always look at it as, you're gonna fail a few times and then all of a sudden the next one's gonna see it and come right in so you never know what turkey you're hunting on the other end unless you've hunted that turkey several days in a row now if i'm failing with say a gobbler decoy and he will not commit to it or just in general the mood they're in they, the turkeys in general where i'm hunting aren't coming in i'm gonna to switch to a hen And in fact, oftentimes that's the only decoy I have out because you don't have a lot of adverse reactions to a hen. Mm -hmm. I love that avian, just, you know, comfortable hen, just kind of feeding along. You don't get a lot of adverse reactions to that. It also gives you a visual aid to your calling. Mm -hmm. Uh, But there are those times where you really need a gobbler present or a gobbler decoy or a fan Cause a bird, he won't, won't come to the hen, won't come to the call. And then all of a sudden you fan him a few times and boom, he's running, coming to run over you. So every scenario is different. And Paul mentioned this earlier, it's like a chess match out there. And it's really having been in the situation enough where you see what the bird's doing, you recognize what he's doing, and you try to adjust your techniques accordingly because mm-hmm. sometimes you're closer to success than you realize you are. Oftentimes you sit there and you go, I'm I'm out of the game on these guys. And then the next thing you know, they're at 20 yards and about to ro- roll you over. And mm-hmm. I don't know if Paul wants to add into that, but you got to read the scenario and try to adjust to it. But th- th- you know, there's other times then where no decoys to ticket. You know, like I love decoys because I'm in open ground a lot. And if I'm hunting the woods, I don't hunt I don't hunt with decoys very often. I'm using the terrain to get to a position where when they pop up, they're within gun range and I kill them within cover and and i'll let paul extend on that
2: now that's absolutely correct and you know the big thing that like we talked about in in different situations and different scenarios uh, try to position yourself where that turkey just pops up like you said just over the ridge and and but the big thing that i like to tell people is you know, as much as you're turkey hunting, nothing's happening, nothing's happening, nothing's happening. It takes five minutes sometimes. All of a sudden, you could be as down and dejected as, as, as could be. You're not hearing birds, and then you finally get a turkey fired up, and five minutes later, there he is. You're flopping on the ground in front of you. I mean, that's what turkey hunting does to us. I mean, you know, you just never know when it could happen turkeys might not be gobbling at all and next thing you know you get one gobbling and five minutes later you got you you got them on the ground.
1: Yeah that's I, the fun of it.
0: I think another key situation we, we haven't talked about and it's one that I personally start to get a little depressed when it occurs but it's the tail end of the season mm-hmm. all the good mm-hmm. stuff is in the rearview mirror when they're flocked <laughs> up at the early part of the season and then they get up, and then they lose their hands and they're coming again but what happens when all of that stuff's in the rearview mirror and the gobbler flocks are coming back together, they're not gobbling as much in the morning, they're not gobbling as late in the morning, and you really feel like that testosterone has dropped within the gobblers. Paul, what are you doing there late in the season to try and get on a turkey and kill him? What I do is, I, I mean, I,
2: I am real aggressive. I try to get something fired up. There's been so many different times where I've seen turkeys out there together that, you know, in a field, and, and you're hammering them, they're not paying any, no attention. Yeah. Next thing you know, you keep it going, you keep it going, the next thing you know, you got one of them gobblers pick their head up and look your direction. And before you know it, it's kind of a race, I'm coming in to, to get you and, and it is a low testosterone level, you get something fired up. But you also you got to realize at that, that time of year, gobblers that may have been killed in a particular area turkeys will will travel a lot more so a lot more gobblers might come into that particular area that's you know they, they've they lost their hands or hens and left them and they're they're still vulnerable so they'll cover they may come in an area that you you know you're hunting that you know you had already killed a gobbler in the next thing you know you got a new turkey that's showed up because I mean they they cover more ground when they are still in that higher testosterone level and they're still looking for a hen so you never really know but gobblers that you know are kind of low level. I, I try to get fired up again.
1: I like it. I like the aggressive approach. How far, Um, just curious. I feel like people don't talk about this a lot, or at least in my realm, how far will a bird travel? Is there a known like estimate on that? Like a bird with high testosterone, he's looking for a hen. I mean, I'm sure it doesn't, there's no cap on it, but have you heard of any unique stories with that?
2: There really is no unique cap, but if you hunt out West, you hunt, you hunt Merriams or places you know where you hunt Merriam turkeys, they'll cover a long. They'll come a long ways. You see a little dot sometimes off a of, you know a mile away, and, and as long as he could hear you, I mean that turkey's going to come your direction. I've seen them come in Montana, come over different mountains and and come, and come to us. I mean they've heard that call because of the you know the terrain, and yet they're still a long ways away. So they'll cover a lot of ground if they're in the
0: right mood.
1: That's yeah. another reason to stay put too. You might have a bird coming that you're not aware of that's putting in a little more work than
0: right. He may be answering and you and you don't hear me so far away. You don't hear, they, right. they hear better yeah. than us. And it's one of the reasons, you know, Paul was one of the original guys at Walker's Game here. You he put those game ears on, all of a sudden there's turkeys gobbling that you don't even hear with your own your own ears. But sometimes they'll gobble out of hearing into hearing. But to your question, Kurt, there's Dr. Michael Chamberlain. Uh, He's on all the different social media pages. He does a lot of studies and and reports a lot of studies that people are doing about the range of a wild turkey and not just in a calling scenario how far they'll come, but in general how far they're traveling to seek out hens and some of these birds have gone miles in the spring to try and find receptive hens or to try and find an area with less you know, pecking order pushes him around, and you might be some old gobblers here that pushes him out. He might move three or four miles over here, find an area with hens, and, yep. and stay there. So, uh, there's some really cool studies on that, but he's worth the follow. Dr. Michael Chamberlain.
1: Yeah, check that out. That's super interesting. That's always intriguing to me, whether we're talking whitetails or you know, I got real into the mule deer migration out in Wyoming and stuff like that. It's just fascinating what animals will do, um, you know, migrating due to weather or traveling for. The Rudd or or whatever it might be. that's just always cool to think about, um, for, at least from my perspective, like where an animal can go.
0: Mm-hmm. On Instagram, he is wildturkeydoc, all one word. Okay. That's perfect. He's, he's a fascinating follow.
1: Yeah, I always like that. It's stuff you just don't think about as much as, like, bird travel. I don't know. I just less thought about it, I feel like, than a whitetail traveling. So – but maybe it's just because you identify a whitetail a lot differently than you would a Turkey to another Turkey. So maybe that's where it stands out a little more, but awesome, man. Well, I appreciate it. I learned a lot on this episode. I hope everybody listening and watching did um, Mark, what do you think?
0: I'm so fired up about this. I just appreciate <laughs> Paul taking the time and come on with us. Like I started out saying he's one of my all time heroes. And if you guys like this, this information, you're going to continue to enjoy our other guests. We've got Rob Cack. Uh, Rob Keck, Cuz Strickland, Steve Stolz. I mean, we got them lined up one after another, and we're all going to be talking about different subjects. And Paul can speak to all three of those guys. They're they're as good as they come when it comes to turkey hunting. No doubt, just great friends, great great hunters. I mean, just great people. I'm,
2: I love them all to death. Just like I, I love you, Mark.
0: Love you Believe too. Believe
2: me. Bro. I mean, we go we go way back, and uh, you know, you, you just I I look forward to every spring. Just just what we do. Just you know, just being able to do it. It's just, uh, it's just
0: rewarding. It won't be long, buddy. I can't wait till we're out there hugging each other's neck over a miss.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I love it. I love it. Well, thank you so much for doing this, man. I really appreciate it. I might be a Turkey expert by the time this whole series is over with, or at least I'll think that I am. And then it's time to really go put it to the test. Um, (laughs) we'll see. I gotta
2: tell you one other thing. Yeah. One other thing you want to remember, and and I've been Turkey hunting over 50 years and I go into the woods and I keep an open mind. Don't ever get to the point where you feel you know it all because you don't. Yeah. I learn every time I go into the woods. I know Mark does as well. I mean, just keep an open mind and learn from your mistakes. Uh, you know, try this. I always keep try that. You know, there's t- scenarios I'm out there and I said, "Geez, I haven't done that in a while," and 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 it works. So mm-hmm. always keep an open mind and always be able to reach in your bag of tricks and, and learn from your mistakes.
1: It's great advice, man. And I will keep that with me and I'll make sure above anything else, I'm having a good time. That's what it's all about. That's it. No doubt. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, man. I appreciate you, Mark. Thanks for the help with this. I appreciate the, the Turkey hunting gods blessing me with some of this knowledge. I hope you guys learned something at home. I think I I know you did, and I appreciate you tuning into the Turkey hunter OG series, uh, working class on DeerCast. Thanks for being here, and I, Mark. I normally say go shoot a giant on this series. Go shoot a giant beard. How's that? Yeah,
0: go go shoot a strutter. or go, go shoot a long beard. Something like that. Go
1: yeah. shoot a giant long beard.
0: Yeah.
1: We'll yeah. close her right there. <laughs> Thanks, guys.
0: Thank you.